Just so you know, I'm Josh McKenzie. I'm the president of the Christian Union in Bendigo. So my role is to be the face for the students, to work with the other student committee and to make sure that we are doing our best to present people before Christ, faultless and blameless in his eyes. So um, that's me and that's Christian Union, a little bit about us. So I just want to introduce, last year when I was started preaching, or it was the year before actually, um, Russ Grinter, who's our staff worker, which some of you might know. Um, he asked me to preach through Peter's letters. And he asked that so that I would learn to preach through the hard issues. And because of that, um, I'm now preaching on 1 Peter chapter 3. And this um, piece of scripture that I'm preaching on today, I wouldn't have chosen myself. It's not something which I feel totally adequate to preach on. Um, I've only been married for a year. Um, unfortunately, I had to leave my wife at church today. She was doing Sunday school. But um, I don't feel I have the authority or the experience to preach on this passage. But that being said, I'm not shying away from it. And I ask that today you focus on what the Scripture is saying to you and what God wants you to hear. So let's pray as we um, begin to expound the Scriptures together. Heavenly Father, loving and gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word addresses all areas of our lives. And Lord, um, today it addresses our marriages, Lord, and our relationships with others. And we pray that, Father, you would speak to us through your word and that we might hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, have you ever noticed on the news the staggering amount of relationship troubles we see? Um, a little while ago it was Bob Jane and his wife in court. Um, Shane Warne and his open marriage um, Lara Bingle and M Michael Clark is the latest one um, it's as if the news companies they want us to, to think that divorce and relationship struggles are normal what about the once sacred wedding vows are they still sacred I mean there are many places in the world where men, and, men can marry men women can marry women and there's even places in the world where people can marry their pets or their possessions. The other day I even saw in The Age an advertisement for a bed company where it had two men sleeping together as if it was a normal practice. I wonder, in a confused and messed up world, how do we relate to each other as people? And whom do we base our relationships on? From the scripture read earlier, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 9, we see that Peter addresses three groups of people. And the first group of people he addresses is women and wives. Verse 1 says, I'll just open my Bible. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be one Without, the, without a word by the conduct of their wives. So we see here it says that wives must be subject to their own husbands. I wonder what does this mean in a world which doesn't value marriage as it once did? A world where women are taught to fight for their rights, to live unto themselves or not under the rule or the authority of anyone. Many people, including Christians, look at this verse and say that the Bible is outdated. And that within our Western societal context, it's no longer applicable. But I disagree and think that this thought process is just a misinterpretation and poor use of the Bible. My father, um, a great man, he really wanted a large screen telly 
And um, he asked his wife, and of course she said no, they didn't have the money for it. So in reply, and only to get a reaction, he said, But darling, the Bible says wives must obey their husbands. Now, um, he was only joking, and he said what he said only to stir up his wife. But the reality is that there's many Christians in the world who look at this verse, and they have exactly the same attitude, in all sincerity. Because, and because of this, and this, this view which people have, there are so many Christians in the world, non-Christians in the world, sorry, who take this interpretation of Scripture, and they argue against it. Many people interpret these verses as saying that wives are meant to be no more than a doormat for their husbands, who simply cook and clean their lives away. But in true contextual understanding, I think we see that this was never how Peter intended it to be. As we will discover later in the passage, Peter did not write these verses so men could lord it over their wives, but rather that men and women would both look to Christ and his service to us as a model for their marriage. If we look back at verse 1, the first word is likewise. And the word likewise indicates a, previous ex- a link to a previous example in the text. If we take a look, we see that the example for women to follow is Jesus. You may think, well, Jesus was never a wife, and how could I follow his example? Well, we are to follow Christ's example of his service to us and apply it to our marriages. If we look at verse 21 in the previous chapter, we see that what we have been called to suffering, just as Christ did. If we look at verse 23, we see that in the hardest of all times, Christ controlled his emotion. You see, context shows wives how to follow the example of Jesus. It means that just as Christ endured for his church, you endure for the sake of your marriage. Just as Christ, just as Christ we endure for the sake of our husbands. You see, marriage was never meant to be easy. And I know that I myself can sometimes be the most horrible of all husbands. But I am so thankful for a wife who continues to trust her husband and honour him in the hardest of all times, when it seems so pointless. At the end of verse 1, Peter explains that husbands who don't know the Lord will be won to him by the selfless conduct of their wives. I think this is truly amazing, that the pure and blameless conduct of a wife might win their husband to the Lord. Amazing as it may seem, it still seems a little bit weird. Because the world says, take charge, get out the cattle prod, make things happen on your own. Isn't it at all strange that one of the most influential ways to show your husband to the Lord is to simply subject yourself? For those who are believing husbands, I'm convinced that this verse is also applicable. You see, because of my wife's godly conduct... I am constantly being one to the Lord. Seeing my wife live a godly life, and that is, subjecting herself to me, even though I'm a real dipstick, makes me rejoice and thank the Lord. When I can see how devoted my wife is to our marriage and our life together, I can't help but praise God that he would bless me with such an amazing wife. I rejoice because the Lord has prospered in her life and she is not like the world. It also makes me aware of the horrible ways in which I can treat her. And this also leads me to the Lord to ask for forgiveness. The influence of a godly wife on her husband is profound, whether they are Christian or not. Christian or not. And Peter is saying that this should serve as a great motivation to live submissive lives. Peter goes on to explain 
some simple things that you can do in this process of submission. He says in verse 3 and 4, that rather than putting all your effort into making yourself look beautiful on the outside, put your energy and resources into the beauty of the heart. He says that the beauty of hidden qualities is much better in the sight of God. Verse 5 states that the the holy women of God adorn themselves by submitting themselves to their husbands. Not putting on expensive clothing or nice jewelry, but submitting themselves to their husbands. And as I read this, I'm still amazed that to God, a wife who submits themselves to their husbands. Is follow, and following the example of Christ is, is godly and amazing. It's, it's, just, it's just profound. Um, to finish talking about women, Peter then gives the example of Abraham and Sarah, calling women to be like Sarah, who called her husband Lord. In verse 6, he explains that by submitting yourselves to your husbands, you are showing God that you trust him. And because of this trust you have in God, you have nothing to fear. Again, we see that Peter is strong in his reference to submission, giving the example of Sarah. Sarah did so willingly, as her husband asked, so often. She endured some pretty, pretty hard times because of the decisions her husband made. But she just kept trusting God, fearing nothing, which meant she was able to submit to her husband. Being like Sarah doesn't mean you're a doormat, It means that you're trusting God, that he would lead your husband, making submission a real joy. Submission to your husband pleases God, and to our world it's complete and utter nonsense. I wonder, which do you value more, the opinion of the world or God, who, as we read earlier, created relationships? The second group of people that Peter is talking to is husbands. And just as verse 1 started with the word likewise, so does verse 7. But I think that this likewise has greater implication. Using the term likewise makes us look at the context. And in in context, we see that Peter urges women and wives to be obedient to God by submitting to their husbands. And he urges Christians to live like Jesus, who endured all things for the sake of his people. Therefore, it's fair to say that Peter is saying to husbands, be like your wife in her obedience to God and be like Jesus who endured all things for the sake of the church. Being like your wives and like Jesus in verse 7, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the women as a weaker vessel. You wouldn't be looked favourably upon in the world by saying that women are the weaker vessel. Women are the weaker vessel? Wait a minute, doesn't, didn't we overcome this issue when women were instated to vote? I mean, surely this statement is just an outdated figure of speech. Well, believe it or not, I don't think it is. When I was a young lad, about 12 or 13, I used to wrestle with my female cousins. I didn't think anything of it. And um, they didn't seem any weaker or stronger than I was. A couple of days later, my mum got an abusive call from, my, call from my auntie because my cousins had bruises all over their body. Now, I was not in any way rough with them, beyond what you would normally do, but um, I realised something that day, that women are different to men. They are capable of the same things, but their bodies react in different ways to ours. Women bruise easier than men. 
Women can give birth, men can't. And the list goes on. But in no way are women any less than men. Or men any less than women. And this is proven in the continuation of the verse where Peter says, Since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. Just recently, my wife was teaching swimming. Uh, And at the end of her lesson, she turned her back and a child jumped back in the pool. Um, And the child got stuck and needed to be pulled out. Now, in no way was this Steph's fault, as it was the end of the lesson and the child had left the pool and was in the care of her parent. But even though it was not her fault, Steph blamed herself. She ran over the incident a million times in her head. She cried, she was upset, and the incident even affected her ability to teach a week later. Now, if this was me, I would have thought, well, it wasn't my fault. The parents know, they're in the parents' care. It's okay, I'll just move on with my life. But it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my situation. And now, if it was me, I would have thought it wasn't my fault, like I said. But it wasn't my situation, and I needed to be understanding of this. It wasn't until I read this passage that I thought how stupid I was in that situation. In this instance, when I was talking to Steph about it, I couldn't see past how I would have dealt with it myself. Um, I just tried to enforce how I would have dealt with it and my feelings upon Steph, when all I needed to do, be doing was loving her, giving her flowers, showing her that everything was okay. Men, we really need to get this idea of ourselves out of our head. Our wives, they, they don't react in the same ways that we do. And it's much easier to look back at a situation in hindsight and criticise when sometimes all we really need to be doing is encouraging them. The words of scripture tell us a timeless truth that doesn't change with fashion. Men and women are equal but different. Although God has given us authority as husbands, we need not abuse it. Sometimes our wives won't have done what we expected them to do in their time. I so often find myself coming home from work or coming home from uni, walking in the house and noticing that the house is still a mess, the dishes aren't done, the bed isn't made, the washing isn't done, the washing's still on the line. Instead of saying, asking Steph how her day was. Um, And in this time, I'm I'm saying to her with my body language that you're my slave and why aren't your jobs done? Rather than saying, you're my wife and I love you dearly. Man, this is the very reason that so many marriages have troubles. The, the very reason why so many women turn to other men. We, as husbands, including myself, need to get this outdated picture of our wives out of our head and start paying attention to their needs. Sometimes little gestures help, like cooking tea one night or hanging out the washing or bringing home flowers. It's so simple and so effective. And most, and most of all, it shows our wives that we care about them and that we love them. Men, including myself, we need to change our attitudes and our thoughts so that just as Christ served us to the point of death, that we will do the same for our wives. The last group of people that Peter addresses are all of us. Verse 8 to 9 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, Sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, and a humble mind. 
Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. In the flow of the passage, Peter has moved on from talking about relationships between a husband and a wife to relationships within the church, between Christians. What he says here is regardless of status or power, just simply how we should be relating to each other as Christians. You see, how we relate to each other is different to how a husband relates to his wife. Because when you get married, the relationship changes. You become closer and more intimate. In these verses, Peter is simply addressing our relationships as Christians. The first thing Peter says in verse 8 is have unity of mind. First and foremost, as Christians, we should agree on the fundamentals. That Jesus is Lord and that it's only through his sacrifice on the cross that the wrath of God has been satisfied on our behalf. It's easier said than done, and there are many Christians in the world who would dispute the very foundations of our faith. Peter is not saying that we should compromise our faith in unity, but rather we should be united with people who believe similar doctrine, that our theological thinking should be aligned with each other. He then goes on in verse 8 to say, Have sympathy brotherly love and a tender heart meaning don't condemn your brother pick him up when he falls be compassionate and love him as you would your own family as Christians we should be looking out for each other ensuring that we keep our brothers and sisters from falling he then mentions that we should have a humble mind I used to often fall in this trap where I would build myself up as bigger and a better person than I am when I first went to uni, university, I used to stereotype people. If someone had tattoos, they looked a bit dodgy, they were an atheist or a jock, and the list goes on. I would think to myself, God won't save them, surely not. I'm sure many people would have thought that about Paul too, if we look back at Paul's story. But my point is that I was not humble in mind. Rather, I was big-headed and stupid to think, that God would restrict himself to me. Peter says, be humble in mind. Don't put yourself above others. I think being humble is something in which we have forced upon, we have forced upon us as part of our Australian society, where we as Aussies don't like tall poppies, so we cut them back to size. But there are still times when we can leave our humility to seek our own glory. It even happens in our own churches, and Peter says, don't become big-headed or arrogant, but rather have a humble mind in your service to one another. He goes on to finish this passage by saying, don't repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless that you may obtain a blessing. If we look at verse 23 in chapter 2, we see Peter uses similar terminology about Jesus. Therefore, we are to be like Jesus, who did not do these things, and I think this is how we should conclude the passage. By remembering that we should be like Jesus in our relationships within the church, as well as our relationships as husband and wife. The way we should relate to each other as Christians should be simple. But sometimes we forget the basics. And Peter is reminding us of these. Brothers and sisters, no act of service should be too much for a brother or sister who is struggling. No amount of good work should make us think higher of ourselves and we should always be looking to bless others.
because we have been blessed so abundantly with the grace which has been given to us. The example of Jesus is written so that we may be saved and live a life which is following his great example. At the start of our message, I raised some questions and thoughts about relationships in our world. Specifically, I asked if marriage vows were still sacred and that who on earth could possibly... We could, who on earth could we possibly look to as a perfect example of how to relate to other people? Well, under God, marriage vows are still sacred. And the person we should look to as a perfect model is Jesus. Although as Christians we will never be perfect and never get it 100% right, we continue to honour God and follow the example of Christ as we seek to improve and maintain our relationships with others. In relationships, the example of Jesus reminds us that when we suffer here, it's only temporary and that we should endure all things for the sake of each other. As we read in verse 9, Bless, for you were called so that you might obtain a blessing. The greatest blessing which we have received is grace through our Lord Jesus. And this grace should motivate us to bless others, showing them what grace is through your actions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, loving and gracious God, we thank you that your word addresses us, Lord, as husbands, as wives, and Lord, as people in the church. Father, we pray that we would never forget that we are to love one another, Lord, that we are to be humble in mind, that, Lord, we are to bless others because you have blessed us so abundantly with grace. Lord, we thank you so much for your death on the cross, that you have saved us, that, Lord, you have satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. And, Lord, we pray that we would never forget how great grace is and, Lord, that we would continue to look to you as our example in relationships, Lord, as we love one another and care for one another. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.